At this time, we're going to have um, Pastor Ray Mummer come deliver the message to us. Um, I can remember when Ray was pastor here at the church quite regularly. And uh, in fact, just a hair over 30 years ago, you married me and my wife here in this chapel. So welcome, and we look forward to hearing what the Lord lays in your heart to say to us today. Faces that I remember and know, some of you I, I don't recognize. That's good. Uh, church should be changing all the time, right? Should be growing, new people coming. I left here in 2006, so if you've come in since 2006, uh, that's why I probably don't recognize you unless I know you from somewhere else uh, on that. But anyway, it's nice to be with you. Uh, enjoyed the songs. I always enjoy. Uh, you know, I like music. I think it's a great way to worship God. I like the old, I like the new. And uh, I, it doesn't matter to me which ones we sing. Uh, it, it's easy to enter into worship. Their songs are such a rich heritage of our theology and what we believe in the scriptures. And uh, I just enjoyed the, the thoughts. I was uh, just thinking about some of the focus on the world uh, in some of those songs. And I thought, as I was singing that, I just visualized, you know, my daughter is married to a man from Thailand, and they live with us. We call him Pope, uh, like the Catholic Pope. That's if uh, we chose to call him that, because if you saw his name transliterated from Thai, you'd probably call him Pak or something, you, some crazy way of saying it. But it, it's pronounced, his full name is Sam Pope Sing Mung Mua which uh, I think I got the last name right. I've been practicing that for years. But anyway, what, what I enjoy, they have four little girls and they're Thai American. And uh, every day I'm reminded how big the church is. Uh, Pope came out of a little village up in Northern Thailand. His mom and dad were the first ones in that village to find Christ. And then his brother and Pope and to this day, there's, it's reluctantly, uh, a, it's a Buddhist village, and they are reluctantly allowing them to stay in that village. And reluctantly, one family here, one there, are starting to come to Jesus. And, but the peer pressure, when Pope's mom and dad accepted Jesus, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was a relative or a, a, just a, a dear friend came up and said, we will pay you money if you don't follow Jesus. <laughs> and uh, they offered him a, a lucrative sum uh, not to follow Jesus. And of course, one of the first things uh, Pope's mom and dad did, uh, Buddhism in, in their little village is tied in with spiritism. And every, every little uh, piece of property, they have what they call a spirit house. And it looks, the ones that I recall seeing, they reminded me so much of what we call our Martin houses. We put up on post to draw the Martins in. Some are pretty fancy and nice with some kind of a little porch out on them. They put food on that. The idea is to make the spirits happy and satisfy the spirits so that the spirits will protect them and good things will happen. One of the first thing Pope's mother and dad did when they came to trust Jesus is they destroyed their spirit house. And this brought great fear and frustration on the hearts of the village. And uh, there's been, I can't tell you how many attempts where the village, is about 300 families in the village, they gathered and tried to make a case for 
the Sing Mung Wa family having to leave the town. But fortunately, uh, Pope's family has deep roots in that, and there's always been somebody, a relative, who would come along and speak up on their behalf. In Thailand, there's freedom of religion. So by law, they, uh, they don't have the law pushing them out, and they could stay. So anyhow, they continue to be there, be a witness, and uh, as you think about them, just pray for them. And uh, Pope and Steph do plan to go back, uh, probably not for another two years maybe, but they do plan to go back and, and establish themselves there. But enough of that. We're here today to think about what God has to say to us. And uh, I'm going to, all I can tell you is what God said to me. <laughs> we can look at it through that lens. But, what, you know, part of uh, being retired is, that I'm enjoying is I have some leisure time to go off on studies that I, well, as a pastor, I would look at them and think, oh, I'd like to spend more time looking at that and reading that. One of the things that recently I picked up a Bible, it's called the Founder's Bible, by David, written by David Barton. It's the New American Standard Version, but scattered throughout are all kinds of articles about the history of our nation. And I just, these articles have just captured my imagination and my attention as I try to imagine the early days of our colonists from the pilgrims up through and what has happened in this country and the interaction of faith and the Bible uh, in the founding. One of the things is you, I'm sure you like myself, uh, you're sitting on the edge of your seat uh, trying to be informed about the change of events and the things that are uh, happening in our nation today and at the same time trying not to become so depressed over it because what the nation you and I grew up in is at great risk of not being that for our children and grandchildren. And uh, so I, I, try to, I try to listen, I try to be informed, I try to stay on what is, at least the news is saying is happening. But I'm also looking at the same time saying, Lord, I'm your child. I've got to live here. <laughs> this, is my, this is where I live. How do I follow Jesus with all of this going on? So uh, the message I want to preach this morning is one of the things that I feel God has shown me that has been very helpful for me. And just in a nutshell, if you don't remember anything else about, about this, of uh, the sermon this morning, remember this. This is a big idea. Jesus is building his church, and catch this, in an ever-increasing evil world. And I want to stress, an ever-increasing evil world. I think for years, many of us have preached the gospel, kept our churches open, witnessed hoping we're going to change the world. And uh, the evil is going to get pushed back into a corner. And I want to hopefully show you from the scriptures today that that isn't the, the hope. That isn't what Jesus has taught us. He's taught us to be ready and expect evil to increase as history moves on. One of the things uh, that has caught my attention was the early colonists, when they came to this country in the 1600s, they were fleeing, they were persecuted. And it, what, what, uh, just a couple months ago, it dawned on me how new the Bible was to the early pilgrims. The, the English Bible, 
was uh, released in the early 1600s. And part of what they realized is part of how Europe kept the population under control was to keep them illiterate and not being able to read the Bible. <laughs> and the pilgrims, when they came to the United States, they recognized this. And they thought back on the persecution that many of them experienced. And it was because the, the leaders, both the church and the state, worked together throughout Europe up through the 1600s. We're coming out of what we know as the Dark Ages. And the Dark Ages were dark because the Bible wasn't in the hands of people. You know, this is this relatively new, that you and I have the Bible, that we can read it. But when our nation was founded, those people who came from Europe here were just beginning to get Bibles in their hands in, in a version that they could read. One of the, a couple of the results of that was when they lived in Europe, they were people couldn't read, they couldn't even read laws, they were illiterate. So the clergy and the government said to them, we, the Bible says that we have the right to oppress you, and to keep you under our thumb. <laughs> and people believed that. This is what their priests were saying, this is what the church was saying, and they had no way of knowing anything else about the Bible. They couldn't read chapters like you and I have read in the book of Acts, where Peter and the apostles said, well, you can say what you want to tell us what you want to do, but we're going to listen to God. They didn't know that. They didn't have that kind of truth uh, available to them. So the, the, the government was quite tyrannical, and the church was right in there with them, and afraid that if the people could get the Bible into their hands, they would start to read and think for themselves. And if they could read, <laughs> there wasn't a lot to read at that point in time. The printing press just came out in the 1500s, so uh, there was limited reading, but they could begin to read and interact with each other. So one of the other things that uh, they told the, all the people in Europe is that God wanted them to kill Jews. The Jews killed Jesus, and that's how a lot of the world fought in Europe, believe it or not. I know Martin Luther hated the Jews. If you read his writings, he finally repented of that as, as he uh, later years. He, they, they also said God wanted his doctrine and the church kept pure. So the citizens had a duty to report those who did not believe the state established doctrine. Whatever the state said, this is how you believe, that's how people were to believe. And they, were, they had, a, they had a, quite a system of telling on each other. And you were made to think that if you told on somebody who taught something different than what the state said, that God was pleased with you. And uh, you can imagine if, if you didn't have the scriptures to read, <laughs> how uh, you got to listen to what people say. I mean, look, look how we all went through the COVID-19 COVID fiasco, you know, and what people were telling us to do. We didn't know. At first, we didn't know. Later on, we, we took a different approach to it, but uh, it took us a while to catch on. Well, just imagine if you had no outlet for investigating something for yourself. Christian leaders and the, and the civil leaders were, uh, uh, the civil leaders and the church were in cahoots or working together to keep the Bible out of the hands of people. You had a number of Christian leaders who were starting to say, wait a second, the people in my pews need the Bible we got to get it translated in, into the language that they speak. 
And so you had a couple leaders coming out that you've probably heard about, uh, William Tyndall, George Wisher, John Huss, John Rogers, uh, Jamone of Prague, and Thomas Kramer. They were all burned at the stake because they tried to put the Bible into the hands of people. And uh, the government and the church uh, brought persecution. Others like uh, Martin Luther and, and John Knox, uh, they were out, considered outlaws by the state and the church, and they were on the run, uh, hiding to protect themselves. All of this is what our, the early colonists had in the back of their minds as they came here to this founder's country. It's what they were fleeing from. And they started to realize as they had time now and freedom to get the Bible, probably the Bible that came over to America is what we call the Geneva Bible, or Geneva, uh, the translation. You can still get those Bibles and read them. Uh, they, as they read those Bibles, they started to understand that if people in Europe had had the Bible, they probably would not have followed through on the atrocities that these people, the colonists, had experienced, persecuting other Christians and uh, the different things that they did. They also believed, as they read the Bible, Satan's alive and well. That was a very, very real thing to them. So in 1642, which would have been about 20 year, 22 years after the pilgrims settled in Plymouth, they established a law in Massachusetts, which was called the Old Deluder Satan Law. <laughs> it was one of the first educational laws that, that was established in this new country, the Old Deluder Satan Law. In 1642 in Massachusetts, five years later it was established in Connecticut. And basically the early legislators, the people who were leading the governments, the local governments and the state governments, they drew wisdom from the Bible to lead people uh, who were coming into the colonies. And they recognized that Satan was alive and well and he was working and he was out to deceive the world. and that. One of the things they were going to do is they were going to have children trained to read and be able to read the Bible so that they would not be easily deceived as they grew up and became adults. And uh, this is uh, interesting what they, how they worded it. I'm going to get this up a little closer here to read it. I, this is just a short section I want to read about how they worded this. And they said, it is therefore ordered that every township within this jurisdiction, after the Lord hath increased them to the number of 50 households, shall then forthwith appoint one within their town to teach all such children as shall resort to him to write and read. And it is further ordered that when any town shall increase to the number of 100 families or households, they shall set up a grammar school the masters thereof being able to instruct you so far as they may be fittingly fitted for the university. Education was very important in the very early founding of this nation, but not just education for the sake of education, it was education so that they could read the Bible. And they also wanted them to be able to read laws that were passed. And the idea was that uh, you wouldn't just have somebody telling you what you ought to do. 
you would also be able to see what they were saying and you could compare it, does this line up with scripture? <laughs> that was the first tool that the legislators of this new nation wanted to put into the hands of people, the tools to be able to read for themselves, take it before God and discern if they were being tyrannically ruled versus being ruled by the wisdom of the word of God. I find that fascinating to think and I think how far we've come today. You know, uh, we've gone through a season of dark ages here in this country. Uh, if, if you think about it, you, you know, some of you are my age. I know Glenn and Carolyn, we were in school together and we remember when we remember, and if you're in my age bracket or so, you remember having uh, daily devotions when you went to school. So they'd read some scripture, probably say the Lord's Prayer and then the Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, in, what was it, in the 60s, 62, 63, that uh, Madeline Mary O'Hara prevailed upon the leaders of this nation to ban that happening in the schools. That was, that was kind of the last straw in terms of our schools having the Bible taken out of our, away from our children. It wasn't the last. I know we had Bible clubs in our school, and I guess some, you still can have those and still do. I think Bermudian still has one, has that? Yeah. I know we were very active in that and, and very much a part of that. That was at least allowed then. But the majority of our children today are not growing up unless they are brought to a church knowing anything about the Word of God. And uh, so much so, uh, one of the, uh, the um, teachers that goes with the Youth for Christ that goes into some of your schools says that when he starts telling a Bible story at the release time program or those, those kinds of programs, Kids are on the edge of their seat for them. They've never heard the story, David and Goliath and thing, Noah and the ark and uh, Jonah and the big fish. And uh, they find them very interesting to hear. You know, you and I, those are old stories to us. We, we know them so well, we're almost uh, go, oh, are you gonna tell me that story again? Uh, we also almost feel that way sometimes, shame on us. <laughs> shame on us, there's so much for us to hear in that and read and understand about that. But this, these laws, educational laws, were so successful that by 1765, John Adams wrote, a native of America who cannot read and write is as rare as a comet or an earthquake. And so these laws were working. They were getting children able to read and to write. And Bibles and churches were the center of that education. You know, some of you probably are familiar with the McDuffie Reader, those little uh, the textbooks. And if you get your hands on one and get a chance to look at it, you'll see how scripture is just interwoven in it and uh, used there so that it, education was constantly in the classroom. The children would be uh, having the Bible and truth about God's word. Today, I understand they're interweaving into uh, our mathematics and all subjects, CRT, critical race theory and gender uh, issues, which is... Uh, sad to think how far we've come. I don't want to get into uh, listing all those things. You know more as much as I do about those kinds of things. But we see evil is increasing in a way that we probably never thought we would see it increase. But Jesus is building his church. 
And he said, the gates of Hades will not prevail. Now, I, I said the gates of Hades very intentionally. Some of your translations say the gates of hell. But to me, as I've studied that, it's, I think it's very important to realize he said the gates of Hades. And where he said it was at uh, what they called the gates of Hades up in uh, the northern part of the, of the region. Because the word Hades connotes veiledness, darkness, is the connotation of that. Now, it's not wrong to translate the Greek word that he uh, is used for Hades as hell. It, it is also used of the underworld, the place we go to after we die. But I find Jesus in his wisdom of choosing words, <laughs> when he says the gates of Hades, the gates that are trying to veil us from truth. And that's what we see happening with evil. Evil tries to deceive and to delude, does it not? It's, it's the tool it has. What, what's, the, what's the greatest force against us today? Stop truth. Keep the Bible out of the hands of people. If you can't keep it out of their hands, and you can't today, you can buy a Bible anywhere. You can go online and you can read it. You can hear it read. Some of you probably do like I do every once in a while. You turn it on channel 49 and they have those beautiful scenes and nice music playing and put scripture verses up. It's right there on your TV screen. Uh, you can read that, listen to that, meditate and think about it. But that's giving you truth. You're getting truth. You're getting something God said. You human beings need to know this. And that's what the Bible is all about. It's why we value it. We call it the love letter from God, but it's, it's his instruction book. It's his love letter. He created us. He knows what you and I need to hear. So if you're going to shut down and bring deception on people, you got to get the truth away from them. So you can see that movement today happening. And then, you know, you want to destroy the homes and the families. That's an important thing happening today with the whole sexual revolution, transgender, same-sex relationship issue. The mar marriage is whatever we want to define it as being, not what God said it should be. All of this, you can just see the, the, the deluder, and he's much freer to do that today, and people can easily go along with it because of their ignorance of the Word of God. Some of you, uh, you may be here, you, you love the Lord, you know about him, but you're not really biblical literate. You've got to study the Bible. <laughs> not, it's not good enough to have one. I mean, that's great. And you, we need to have one. You've got to open it. You've got to spend time reading it. You gotta, that's where God speaks to us. That's where God encourages us. That's where God gives us discernment to know the difference how to interact. He didn't create us intuitively to be able to manage good and evil. We don't have the intuitive skill of that. And yet that's the big lie today, isn't it? Uh, people want to think, I can manage good and evil. In fact, I can decide what is good and I can decide what is evil. And if you come at me with something that you say came from God, you're a bad person. <laughs> You're evil. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if any of you have experienced that. I read about it. I haven't been in circles where I interact with people that I've had that thrown into my, my face and had to deal with it. But I know it's out there, and I read lots of stories about how that is being happened. And 
evidently there, you can't even present a rationale for why you believe God's word is true to the modern culture today. They, they, rather, before they'll enter into a discussion with you on that, they'll start villainizing you. <laughs> they'll start villainizing. It's the only thing they have and just uh, refuse to enter into a discussion with it. That's so different from you and I who we have learned to think. We were taught to think as we went to school. We were also, we were taught to read the Bible and think about what it's saying, right? Isn't that what you do? Uh, I mean, I, you, can, you can sit down and just rotely read the Bible. I've done that myself. Where I, I've caught myself, I'm reading through. I have a Bible reading plan. I want to get, get through this much today. And I've found myself already thinking, uh, reading, and realizing I'm so anxious to get this done because I only have this much time to read, and I, I don't remember a thing I read. Have any of you ever had that experience when you sit down with it? Uh, when I catch myself doing that, my first reaction is, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. This is your word. This is, this is too valuable for me to handle this lightly. And uh, I back up and slow down and either adjust my, my time schedule or say, okay, I'm just going to get this much read right now, and I'm going to listen to what you're saying to me, Holy Spirit, as I read, and then I'll come back and finish it at another time, even if I get behind on my reading. And uh, sometimes we need to do that. It's his word. Now, there's a couple verses I want to I share with you. The first verses are John 3, 19 through 29, where John writes, light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You've read those verses, I'm sure, John in John chapter 3 many times. I want you to think about that image that's there. Light has come into the world. Jesus is light. That's the light in the context, it's very clear. Jesus has come into the world. Jesus is the light. Men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You remember when Jesus came, went into his public ministry, wherever he taught in the temple, he was opposed by the religious leaders. They loved their darkness. They didn't want to know the truth about God the Father. They didn't want to know the truth about themselves. They had a pretty good thing going there in Jerusalem, religious leaders in Rome, and uh, they were pretty comfortable financially, pretty comfortable and secure in terms of being powerful and having leadership. They didn't want the truth <laughs> to disrupt that. And they didn't want the light of Jesus and the light of God and the light of truth shining on their corruption. And so they hated the light. Well, you can see parallels, can't you, today? <laughs> you can see parallels of that all over, the place, all over the United States, all over the world. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, Paul wrote, Therefore consider carefully how you live, not as unwise but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity. Now, 
hear this last phrase, why should we do that? Why, why should we be, live like wise people? Why should we take advantage of every opportunity? Because the days are evil. Now you can read that and you know how evil days were in Rome, but I would project to you, the world has stayed evil from Rome to today. <laughs> and evil is on the increase. But Paul's advice is, consider carefully how you live because the days are evil. You and I, we're not gonna change the days and make them unevil. <laughs> they are evil. The, what can change by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, by the power of his word, what can change is you and I and how we engage this evil world. When I think about uh, taking advantage of every opportunity, I think about taking advantage of time. Now, I'm a human being, okay? I'm preaching to myself as I say all this. Please understand that. When we have unfocused time, you know, we, I don't know if you use the expression, every once in a while I'll come in and I'm just tired of sitting, I just want to sit down and vegetate in front of the, the TV. That's a dangerous mindset, okay? It just is a dangerous mindset. Be careful what we do when we're in that frame. We need recreation. We need sometimes just to disengage from all the things going around us. And, but we also need to learn to take that time and put some, get some good input coming in. Because if you don't, if you just uh, disengage and allow time to be unfocused, that's all Satan needs. <laughs> that's all he needs to come at you with a temptation, to come at you with a, putting, putting yourself down. You know, vacations are wonderful, but it's so easy, isn't it? When you go on vacation, you're away from church, you're away from friends and family, to almost forget you're a Christian. Have any of you ever caught yourself there? Uh, I, I've, I've caught myself there already. And before I know it, I've got an attitude going through my head or thinking of things in ways that are not the way I know to be thinking about things. Now, if you've been able to do, do that, that's good, to avoid that happening, okay? I'm just saying, vacation is kind of a letdown time for most of us. It's a time we need to stay guarded, okay? And not forget who we are. We need to consider carefully how we live in an e evil world that we're being surrounded by. In the same chapter, uh, well, uh, let, uh, one more thing I want to finish uh, when I add into that. Uh, when we're making the most of our time and wanting to make the most of our time, sometimes we need to ask the Father in heaven to protect us from sin. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay. He was, that prayer that he told us to pray and that we know so well is an indication that he's very aware of the constant presence of evil around us and how important it is that we recognize that and we recognize, Father, I'm weak. I don't want to, I don't even want to be tested to think about evil. I just want you to lead me 
and not lead me in, I don't want to get near the evil one in all of his schemes. In a, thinking about how we live in this evil day, Paul wrote that passage in Ephesians 6 where he describes how God provides armor to protect us. Remember that great passage? Some of you, if you've taught children, you've probably uh, done those little uh, pictures and shown the different parts of the armor. Well, it's a pretty key passage for us. I just want to read what Paul said about that. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day and having done everything to stand. Paul's preparing us with those words to stand against evil, not get away from it. One day we will. That, that's, that's a reward, okay? I don't know if, if you ponder that much or not, but to think about living in an environment where I don't have to be kind of watching over my shoulder, thinking about what's coming at me, uh, standing on guard, being alert. We'll, there will be a day where we'll be in the presence of God. There'll be no evil that we need to be concerned about. And we, can re we will get our reward. We will get the Bible. Hebrews talks about it being a rest, a Sabbath rest that will come to us. And I, I for one, do not want to miss that for any reason. But we're told to put on this armor. Okay, remember the piece, pieces of the armor? Go, re go through it with me. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, the, the, the uh, sandals of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and prayer. It takes all of that for you and I to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He, he's creative. <laughs> he, he is so creative. I, I can't stay ahead of him. <laughs> you know, I, I'm often a couple years behind when I start to see, oh, that's what's going on here right now, <laughs> his schemes. I, I need the truth. I need God's word. I need Jesus Christ. He's truth. I need righteousness. I'm not righteous. I, I, can't, I can't do enough righteousness to please God and stand against the... the the accusations of Satan. I need the righteousness of Christ covering me. I, I need the peace that comes from knowing the good news that God has given me eternal life. My sins are forgiven, that he's my savior. You know, the, that, that gives me a firm foundation knowing that. I, I need the helmet over my head telling that protects me from feeling like I'm not delivered. It's the helmet of salvation. Salvation is deliverance. You know, how many times do we get tricked into thinking you're, it's hopeless? It's hopeless. You can't do it. You, you can't defeat that temptation. And we get focused on the temptation. We get focused on the threat. And it looks so big and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's all in our head because it's been already defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross. There's nothing 
bigger than him. But the enemy will, will, will cripple us with fear. He'll cripple us with fear, and we don't enjoy the salvation that Jesus has so intentionally won for us. And then the, the shield of faith, you know, the, it's put, it says to quench the fiery darts that come at us. Well, accusations, doubts, fears, those things that Satan is constantly trying to make us uh, think we can't. We're going to be defeated, and we want to tremble and walk back instead of standing there. You put that shield up, and those things hit that, and you're safe. You're good. And then at times, the only way you and I are going to push back the enemy is quote the Word of God. Have you ever experienced that? You're, you're, you're just dealing with something in your mind that's just overwhelming you, and you think of a Bible verse, and you start meditating on that, and sometimes saying it out loud, and things just, whoop, it goes away. Uh, I've experienced that, personally. I have had that experience where I just feel a heaviness on me, and I'm thinking to myself, why am I feeling this heaviness? And I'll think of a Bible verse about what God said about me, who Jesus is, and I'll start either reading it, or if I remember it, I'll quote it, and, it's, and I'll say, this is what's true about me. And just like that, that heaviness will lift and go away. That's the power of God's word. That's the sword of the spirit. And then prayer. I, I, I like to think of prayer. Uh, you ever watch one of those combat shows or stories where they show the soldiers? Uh, they're, they're kind of getting ready to on a mission with the enemy. And they've got these comms on their head with a earpiece and a mouthpiece. And they're talking to somebody who's watching on radar or satellite uh, what's going on around them. And they're telling you, you've got some warm bodies about 2 o'clock over here, about 100 feet away. And they're giving them input and information. Well, I think prayer is a lot like that. When you and I pray and ask God for wisdom, he's going to start giving us insights uh, into what we need so we can stand strong and not cave into the schemes of the devil and be overcome by evil. Remember, uh, Jesus prayed in John 17, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart in truth, for your word is truth. Now, Jesus didn't prepare us to dominate the world. You ever think about that? I can't find one verse of his teachings where he was preparing us to dominate the world. Jesus will rule the world. He's the one who's going to rule the world. Revelation talks about the world will, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. One day there will be one kingdom. Right now there are two kingdoms. That's good BIC doctrine and teaching. It's good theology any, by any system of the way you look at it. Jesus, when he was here on earth, he was preparing his followers to remain in this evil world as salt and light. That's what he said we are. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You know. There's a lot of functions for salt, but two that jump out in my mind is salt slows down decay. 
Uh, we don't do a lot of that today, but I remember growing up uh, in the old days of butchering where we would uh, take our hang up our bacon in our hands and salt them really good. We'd hang them up in the, in the attic. We had a screened in thing up there over the winter months. You had to get them eaten by springtime or they started getting green mold on them. But uh, it preserved the meat for months, putting that salt on it. Salt also makes you thirsty. <laughs> and that's good, okay, especially when you get thirsty for the right thing. So when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, you're here, you and I slow down decay. Have you ever noticed that? You walk into a, a place and they're telling a dirty joke and they know you're a Christian and all of a sudden they kind of get a little embarrassed about it or anything like that. You're slowing down decay, you know? If, if the church were not in America right now, I can't imagine what would be going on in our, in our government places. But uh, I don't know if you watch these little YouTube blurbs. We've got some incredible Christians in Washington, D.C., and Harrisburg, in places of government. There are Daniels, there are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. And they are standing up, and they are speaking truth into those, uh, those chambers. Now, you understand how deep the evil is when they, the evil side doesn't take seriously the things and the accusations that are being brought. They dodge them. They follow the schemes of Satan, lie about it, and say, well, that's not true, when it is true, and all this kind of stuff going on. But I'm, I know that evil is being restrained because of the presence of the church in the United States of America. Pray for your Christian brothers and sisters. That's the battle that's going on out in that heavenly realm that Paul talked about in Ephesians 6. There are spiritual powers that we don't see that are influencing human beings. And most of the human beings being influenced have no idea that they're being influenced. They think they are just independent of God making the best decisions they know how to make. But you and I have an inside track we know. Paul said, evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. He wrote that to Timothy. And he also said to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. And then he says to Timothy, avoid such people. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that? Huh? Uh, but avoid such people. Don't hang out with them. They're, they're not the people you want to be have uh, reading, speaking into your life. If the, uh, if the singers want to get ready, okay, I'm going to wrap up here. If you want to go ahead and uh, come on up. We need to remember Psalm 2. The question is asked, why do the nations rage? Why do they? They, they want to throw off the shackles of God and the Son. 
And remember what uh, the psalmist says? He speaks, he, then he angrily speaks and, terif and terrifies them in his rage, saying, I myself have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. He laughs. God laughs at it, it says. He laughs with disgust at all of this silly evil. Today, Jesus is building his church. I, I, from everything I can read all around the world, even in the darkest places where tyrants are killing Christians, destroying their homes, Jesus is building his church. He's building his church in the United States. I've never seen the church healthier and stronger than it is in the United States. I'm not ready to criticize the church except to say to us, remember, we're supposed to be here. You and I are supposed to be here. We're not supposed to back down. We are not supposed to hide and pretend that our truth isn't invaluable. It is. We have, we have what this evil nation needs to hear. And it's that we want to be sure and stand up and be confident in this and not allow ourselves. We want to continue doing good things. Don't stop. Even if you don't see what the out, outcome of it is, believe. God, when you and I act like the church, love one another, work for unity, love the Lord, worship him, preach the word, believe what God has said is true, he's doing something with us. I, I just thank you. I remember it was a new song. It's so concise. It just says it so simply. You've given us all that we need to live godly in this evil world, this corrupt, perverse, evil world. The scripture describes it. Your Holy Spirit is adequate. Father, help us. Help us to, to plan our lives, to order our lives around what we believe to be true about Jesus, about you, Father, about you, Holy Spirit, and about what you've said about us in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.